I'm an ideas person, right? But I live by this quote and this is what's gotten me to produce. Vision without execution is hallucination. Think about it. Hey y'all, you are listening to another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl, where we discuss all things concerning self-development and bettering our spirit, but from the homie perspective, somebody that's going through the journey day by day, just like you. Hey y'all, it's your girl Maria, The Spiritual Homegirl, and we are back with another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl Podcast. Now before we get started, you know I cannot do an episode without giving you all my usual note of gratitude. Out of the tens and thousands of podcasts that are in podcast land, you choose to leave me your ears once a week for about an hour or so, and I really appreciate that. Now, LA, first things first. I know I was mentioning that I was going to do a meetup very soon, and um, a friend actually gave me a good suggestion of when to do it. So I'm going to do a meetup on November 18th, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., Doc Waller State Beach, We are going to have a burn it up bonfire. Anything that you are wanting to release, definitely write it down or you can get to the beach, get some time to yourself and write it down and then burn it up in our bonfire. Also, if you want to book some time with me in terms of getting a medicine card reading, you can do so as well. Just hit me up and we can get that done. And um, for those who are not going to be in Los Angeles, I have not forgotten about y'all. Apparently, a lot of y'all, based on this quick Instagram poll that I did, 89% 89% of y'all did not know that I was a certified meditation and mindfulness teacher. And I'm like, wow, that's all my fault. That really is. Because y'all didn't know. Because I didn't bring it up. <laughs> Apparently not enough. So what I am going to start doing is I'm going to start um, opening back up my um, private and group meditations. So if you would like to do that as well, definitely hit me up. You can um, email me at maria at spiritualhomegirl.com or you know well yeah that's the best option to be honest because my dms i'm not great with dms um so i would hate for somebody to reach out to me needing something and then i don't check my dms for four or five days because there's too many and then i don't give you what you need so if you want to do that definitely um let me know so moving on to this week's guest Justin Schaefer of Fascinate Incorporated, a.k.a. Mr. Fascinate himself. I would rather let the interview tell you more of who he is, but we'll do a quick brief overview. He's from the South Side of Chicago, graduate of Hampton University for undergrad. He also ended up going to Columbia. He's currently a Ph.D. candidate in Columbia. Yes, the Columbia University. And he's an emerging young leader um, when it comes to engaging communities, um, especially underserved communities getting the children involved in STEM and for those who don't know what STEM is that's science technology engineering and math and I thought this was really important because I was a child that actually um, liked STEM and then at some point I lost engagement and it became really difficult and I shied away from STEM and I know there's a lot of other adults now like myself who would like to kind of get more into technology, but now we feel like it's too late because we may have lost that foundation or that footing as a child. And the thing I like about Justin, again, is that he's able to um, avoid, or not necessarily avoid, but prevent the problem in those communities by showing children, hey, STEM is fun. STEM is engaging. And, you know, we actually need more representation in our communities with that. Um so he also is a public speaker. He did a TEDx talk recently, and we talk about that as well. 
and his he's really all about just engaging the youth and um he's also an entrepreneur so this episode is about stem spirit we're a little bit of sex thrown in yeah you'll you'll see how exactly we talk about that i also get his opinion about um certain diseases being man-made his take on modern medicine um what else did we discuss? we discussed a lot it was a it was a pretty lengthy interview it was about an hour we talked about his upbringing and how how weird it feels sometimes to be the only person that looks like him in these rooms in these conferences advice to parents that want to learn about stem um for themselves as well as dealing with children who might not be as engaged in stem the magic cool bus which is something that he's working on which is a really great idea um i, I don't want to ruin it he can explain it so much better than i can as well as hood science hood science is a cartoon that he did so it's really it's really cool like justin's really out here making stem fun for not only adults but for children and we also discuss his views on science with respect to spirituality and i know that we get pushback here in the spiritual world when it comes to the existence or non-existence of certain things in our realm and I say in our realm I mean in terms of people actually accepting that this is the realm that they're in I mean everything is spiritual but some people don't see it that way but um we talk about his view in terms of him actually being you know a scientist when you think about it I mean Justin's a scientist pretty much and also a science educator and we talk about his perspective on certain things existing either in the science world, in the spiritual world, or both. What else do we discuss? How closely related to monkeys, chimpanzees, gorillas, if that's really a thing. We discuss whether... Um, <laughs> we discuss... Well, the sex part that I have to just tell you really quickly is that we discuss where these drug-resistant strains of sexually transmitted diseases come from. So this is a pretty... <laughs> it's a pretty well-rounded episode. We go over a lot of things. But um, Justin has some really great insight, and I'm really glad that I was able to interview him while he was in town for a conference in L.A. And I'm really proud of his trajectory, and I know that he's going to do even more great things as time goes on. But again, I don't want to ruin his interview. I'm going to let him tell you all about who he is. Y'all enjoy. Hey, y'all. I am here with Mr. Fascinate himself, Justin Schaefer. How are you? I am doing absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I'm glad to hear all right, so Justin is here in L.A. with me, and we're sitting on this really bomb uh, rooftop looking at the planes fly by and looking at the sunset. And I found a fun fact about those cotton candy skies that I love so much about L.A. They're caused by pollution. I just found out today. It's really disappointing. Um, Justin, real quick, before we get into your interview, how do, how do you know that's by pollution? So uh, I know because my background is in marine environmental science. And... We learned about the different mixture of gases and greenhouse gases that are in the atmosphere that basically when struck by the sun's light at that angle cause the pink, beautiful lights that you see on the horizon. Um, but they're not all caused by pollution. Not all clouds that color are caused by pollution. All right, Justin, now where are you from so everybody knows? I'm from the south side of Chicago. South side. Wait, who else from? Is that Kanye from the south side? Kanye from the south side. Chance the Rapper's from the south side. Commons from the south side. Barack Obama claims the South Side. He's from Hawaii, though, but it's cool. We get we we take. He's honorary. It's cool. <laughs> okay, so like, okay, let's go back, right? Young Justin is growing up in South Side, South Side Chicago. Where did this whole like STEM interest come in? Wait, before I go there, 
For those who don't know, what does STEM stand for? Science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And trust me, it's not as boring as it sounds. Okay, so with that being said, how did young Justin get involved with STEM? I was always interested in STEM. I was the nerdy kid in the hood that was telling people fun facts about planets, and people was like, shut up, Justin. We don't want to hear about how many moons are surrounding Neptune or Jupiter. Like, nobody cared, right? It was a terrible place to be a nerd, but I was always interested. That was my thing. So, like, was there any type of moment that you had in your childhood where you were like, yo, like, this is something that I like? Like, for me, it was reading. I love to read. I love to write. So did you have a moment like that with anything in STEM? So I remember when I was really young, I used to be at the planetarium, and I would get obsessively interested with planets and go home and watch all these old people documentaries and be sitting there as, like, a five-year-old boy, just like, oh, my God, planets are so cool. But there was no one else around that, like, understood that. And later on, I found out why that was. And why is that? So the part of the South Side that I grew up in, in Chicago, it's an intellectually toxic place, right? And it's systematically designed in such a way that people who have interests in things that are intellectual that could maybe advance their lives are discouraged from pursuing those kinds of things. It's a systematic thing. It's been in place for, for decades and over a century. If y'all ain't know, y'all might want to look up the slave codes and then what was it, the black codes, you know, between slavery and reconstruction, civil rights, Jim Crow. And now you'll get some more research on that. But um, so being the only child, well, one of few children in your hood that was really about like academics in terms of STEM, mm -hmm. did you deal with any kind of like bullying or any kind of weirdness from your from your peers? Yeah, there was one kid that bullied me when I was like six. I hit him in the mouth, though. Uh, so I didn't really experience a lot of that because I was, I was a kid. I, I mean, I was a nerdy kid, but, like, I didn't play that. I didn't really play that. I mean, I definitely experienced other stuff, but it wasn't because I was a nerdy kid. It was more like a byproduct of where I was at. Uh, but, I mean, I definitely did feel discouraged from pursuing my nerdy interests until a certain point. I actually went, I did bad in school as a kid. I, was, did, I had bad grades up until about junior, senior year in high school, up until a single event that really changed the course of my life. Dang, I didn't know that. I would have assumed that you would have been, you know, straight A student, you know, maybe A B student over a 3.5 GPA in high school. So what was it that happened that made all of this just change? Yeah, well, to to kind of make sure that <laughs> your assumption is like valid. So I did get good grades as a kid, mm -hmm. but I ended up being so influenced by my surroundings and started realizing that it wasn't cool to be doing these things. I didn't really see a clear path in the future for what I was doing that I just felt like it was a waste of time to be performing academically. And so my grades just deteriorated. I started getting into dumb stuff, doing stuff that a typical high school kid on the south side of Chicago was doing. But it wasn't until the point where I discovered my grandfather, who's an engineer, he's on my father's side. So I was raised by a single parent. But uh, my grandfather on my father's side was an engineer. Uh, and I really didn't understand what that was until around that time. He was an engineer who had a patent for a circuit in the VCR. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's dope. That's yeah. Really dope. So, like, that was cool for me, especially because, like, I was surrounded by people that didn't understand my interests. And all my life I was wondering why I'm this weird kid who had this aptitude for something, right? And so I discovered that. And, and, and really, like, I had heard that kind of here and there as a kid, but I really didn't understand its significance until right before I went to college. Mm -hmm. I'm like, dang, he was an engineer. Like, this STEM stuff is in my blood. Like, this is something I can do. So that's when I really started to pull my pants up and like stop doing all this dumb stuff that all the high school kids are doing and, and really start to take my career and my life seriously uh, and think I had potential to pursue a career in STEM.
Okay, so just out of curiosity, for those who may have children that might be struggling in their high school years, or for those who might feel like since they didn't do well academically, they won't be able to do well when it comes to learning new skills, what advice would you give them? If they're in an environment like mine, is that what you mean? Yep. So those kinds of kids, luckily, unlike when I was a kid, there are so many online resources right now where kids can empower themselves with their own skills. So if you're a kid and you're interested in STEM or any of those kinds of things and you have no one around you that's interested, there's stuff like Code Academy, right, Udemy, there's Khan Academy, and there's forums. There's all kinds of online communities of people that are interested in this stuff, that have conversations about this stuff, and they're not hard to find with a simple Google search. You could literally search science forum you know, STEM topics and find all kinds of people in your area that are interested in this kind of stuff that you never would have met otherwise. Okay, well that's good. And you're right, we're, we are in an age where um, education isn't so formal. We'll get into that in just a, just a little bit. But, okay, so Justin turns his act around, turns his life around. Now he's in college. What school did you go to? So I went to Hampton University, the real HU, in Hampton, Virginia. It's the real issue. I don't know why you're laughing. I'm it's, laughing it's because Goddess issue. episode, well, the Goddess Wisdom episode um, with Ingo Willis, she went to Howard. So <laughs> I know. Why'd you interview a Howard person? See, look at you hating. See that? Hating, hating there's no H in STEM. Hate, H is for hate. <laughs> okay, so when it came to, like, you going to Hampton, so explain to me your college experience in terms of STEM there. Did you get further enriched? Did you, like, yeah. I understand you have a mission with a lot of other things to get um, black and brown kids into STEM. So, like, did that happen at, in Hampton, or did it happen after post, uh, postgraduate? So I really was, like, I didn't do a lot of the outreach stuff specifically pertaining to STEM while I was at Hampton because I was still trying to get my own life turned around. But once I left that intellectually toxic environment that was the south side of Chicago, I flourished. I graduated with the highest GPA in my marine and environmental science department at Hampton University. I was student body president. I did a whole bunch of stuff, you know, at school. Like, I really, I, I took off um, because I was finally in a place where, like, the interest that I had could be accepted and appreciated. Okay, so you get out of Hampton, and then in between you graduating Hampton and now, I somehow find you. I'm not sure how I found you. I want to say it was through Drew. Um, Bill John Brand Drew. My roommate, my roommate now. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay, that's up. So I think I follow him, and then I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Either way, I find you, and I was like, the Magic Cool Bus. And I'm like, what is the Magic Cool Bus? Because for those who know, I ain't going to tell my age on here, but, you know, those that are familiar, you know, 80s babies, 90s babies, y'all might be familiar with the Magic School Bus with Miss Frizzle, and it was a really fun way to teach us about science through animation. So, like, where did you get the idea to say, yo, I'm going to do something called the Magic Cool Bus? Like, what is that exactly? Right, so I really got inspired by the idea behind the Magic School Bus, the principle that you can learn science through an adventure, right? Like, who doesn't think science is cool when you shrink down to the size of a red blood cell and you're literally walking out of a bus into a human red blood cell and you're like, this is the plasma and this is the endoplasmic reticulum. Like, that's the way to learn science, through immersion, through interaction, not some boring old teacher sitting up there talking at you about science. And so many people have PTSD around science education. And so when you mention a scientific field of study, people cringe because they have such bad experiences with science education. So the Magic Cool Bus is something like a mobile museum. Right? We're trying to build a bus filled with cutting-edge science and tech gadgets and travel all over the country and engage kids in STEM, but in a way that's relevant to their culture. 
right? So this is something that's been done before, but most of the time this stuff is whitewashed. The Magic Cool Bus is something that has the culture of the students that we work with in mind. So we primarily serve students that are underrepresented in STEM fields right now, African-American, Latinx. Okay, so take me back to the day where Justin realizes, yo, I got the Magic Cool Bus, this is gonna be dope. So when it came to doing this, because obviously this is an independent project that was solely from your from your brain, right? So did you ever have any moments of doubt where you were like, hey, this might not work, this might not catch on, and how did you get through that? I absolutely had moments of doubt, and this is one of maybe 20 ideas that I've tried out, but this one is the one that caught on the most. So when I came up with the idea for the Magic Cool Bus, I was just talking to people about it, and I noticed that you know, I talked to someone about it that I didn't know, and later on I'd meet them at something else, and they'd regurgitate the Magic Cool Bus name back to me. I'm like, that stuck with you. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, okay, this name is hitting, right? So then I decided with a $0 budget, I was going to put a fundraising video out just for the concept. Let's see if people buy into it. No expectations, right? So I put a video out, one-minute video, $0 budget, and we raised $6,500 just off the strength of the idea, Hello. right? How over the course of about a month. That's great. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So we raised sixty five hundred dollars with with this one minute video that just kind of explained the idea in a really cheap way, um, but people were behind it all the way. And so from there, I got into different fellowship programs and all that kind of stuff. And so now I'm in the process of trying to build this thing. That is really great. Okay. So going back to those other nineteen ideas. How did you deal with, and I, I don't want to call them failures, sometimes things just don't catch on because it's not the time. Yeah. So how did you deal with the other 19 not catching on? I mean, at some point, did you ever just say, like, wow, like this, this is stressful. I don't know if I can keep doing these ideas because they're not catching on for whatever reason. I arrived at a phase in my life where I knew that I was meant to make STEM cool for kids. And... Whether or not it's a bus, whether or not it's the cartoon series you put out, whether or not it's the blog that I tried out with writers, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this well. And if this idea doesn't work, I'm going to go to the next one until it does. So I reached that point, and I was willing to try 20 more. I, you know, if this didn't work, I was going to try 20 more things. So it's not even about this particular idea. It's just more of whatever idea works, it's going to work. And apparently the Magic Cool Bus is one of the ones that are that's going to be the one to take it to the next level in terms of the mission that you want to do to make STEM cool for black and brown kids. Now, why do you feel like there's a lack of representation with within our communities when it comes to STEM? We don't think it's cool. So there's there's there's, there's a lot of big reasons, right? But like what I talked what I talked about before was that we have this kind of PTSD associated with anything that mentions STEM, right? Mm -hmm. So and we don't think it's cool. Like kids don't grow up looking up to scientists or software engineers at Google. That's starting to change a little bit with movies like Hidden Figures and even Black Panther was, was kind of uh, yeah. shed some light on that. And that was cool, like the sister in Black Panther, like she was dope, right? Yeah. But like movies come and go, especially in the minds of these students with microwave attention spans. You know, they saw a movie, but it's not in their frame of reference every day, like a basketball game is, like their hottest rap song is, or like, you know, maybe if they're in a certain type of neighborhood, like a drug dealer on the street is, mm -hmm. right? So like. These kids don't idolize people that are in STEM, and they don't really understand it enough to see it as a clear path out of their situation, whatever it may be. That's actually another, uh, that's a good answer. I remember, this isn't really as relevant, because I'm sure there's some STEM apps for children, right? Are there? 
In terms of what though, like what kind of, because STEM is very broad, so what do you mean? Just anything educational. Like I remember I asked Chris from Mayflower Farms about two years ago, I said, why do you feel like black people don't farm? And he said, because there's not an app for that, that's why. Uh, and I was like, oh, oh okay, ow, that kind of <laughs> stung a little bit, you know? Uh, so like, do you feel like maybe, and I mean, a lot of our children are very, they're kind of tech friendly, yeah. but wanting to be tech savvy is kind of a whole different ballgame. So, do you right. think that there's maybe a lack of maybe programs that can be educational and fun, or do you think that's changing nowadays? I think it's starting to change. I think everyone, so contrary to, to your previous interviewee's point, um, I think everyone's designing an app for everything now. Right. And kids are desensitized to just exclusively using technology to learn things, right? So, they need to be followed up with other types of informal learning opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's stuff out there like uh, like Kudzo that rewards kids for performance. It's a cool app. There's stuff like uh, Duolingo. I actually just was I on like a panel. Duolingo. Yeah, yeah I was just on a panel with one of the founders of Duolingo. Oh, really? Yeah, and uh, we got to talk about the platform and how many people he's seen like improve their like, data. He's seen the data behind it, and he's like, they're, they're completely changing education via an app, right? right. So there's things out there for people to learn things. And like I told, talked about before with Code Academy and stuff like that, um, but that's not enough. See, like if you're in a, if you're a student that learns, maybe let's, let's say you're like this super genius student that just self-teaches himself something using an app, right? Or a program. You still don't have, if you're a black and brown kid, it's more likely than not, you won't have that network. You won't be networked in so that your uncle, you know, is a CTO at a popular tech organization so that you can get discovered for the talents and skills that you have, right? So like, Universities, the old school stuff still does that better, but there's other ways that are coming out now to network kids in so they can actually do their thing. Speaking of network, let's say you're me, Maria, who is of a certain age, who is <laughs> who has had PTSD, who love learning the elements and the periodic table, but in terms of like all that other stuff, hated physics in 11th grade, hated um, Actually, I think I opted out of a science. Was it environmental science? Either way, I just, like, the, the thought of doing STEM stuff is, it, it really sucks for me. Like, I have to really be, like, I have to, quote, unquote, dumb it down and get all the way hands on for me to understand it. So for those like myself who might have a PTSD with STEM, what would you suggest? Not saying you're a mental professional, but how would you work through that? Yeah, so... So has anybody ever brought it home to Spiritual Homegirl? Like, has anyone ever made the concept relatable to you directly? Like, in physics, right? Like, the reason I think a lot of people are so scared of the idea of physics is because it's so abstract that you get deterred from trying to understand it because it doesn't relate to anything in your life. Right. Right? But it does. Right. But we don't think about how it does, right? So like basketball, like so many kids are into basketball. It's something I talk about all the time. If you're shooting a, a shot, on a basketball court, there's projectile motion that occurs that can be calculated using physics, right? If you use any hair products at all, right? Like, there are, there are women, there are black women that are in L'Oreal right now getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to develop products with the perfect ratio of chemicals that can be used on your hair so that it, it has the perfect texture, the perfect consistency, right? right. That person's a chemist. Right. And like like that, that's something that a lot of people don't like bring all the way home. They don't see the relevance. And like when it's taught, they're not taught from a place of relevance. But that's changing a little bit. Another thing I want to I just got to shout is um, like Metro Boomin. Right. He right. came out of ATL. He went to right. Morehouse for a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
he's a sound engineer. He's a STEM professional. He right. uses engineering and creativity to create beats for people to consume all over the industry. Right. So like he's a, a prime example of a STEM professional and we don't think of STEM professionals as people that are cool. Right. You know, now I think about it, like a lot of stuff that we jump into um, on the regular, like the little food videos, you know, little food videos that are like 60 seconds long. I don't really pay attention to them mostly because they have meat in them. Like and the I, tasty, the tasty yeah, and I can't eat them. But like, I mean, like little stuff, like it seems like there's STEM and there's STEM in everything. And we really don't. You're right. We really don't pay attention to that. Even with me, I didn't really pay attention to the importance of chemistry. And so I started making like all natural products like seven, seven or eight, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And. I didn't realize, you know, water, oil, bacteria, preservatives, things like that, they have to be considered. Yeah, that's organic chemistry. That's exactly. And I was like, yeah. dang, I wish I paid attention in Miss Pennington's class. But I didn't. <sighs> that's another but story. Like, but, but, like, part of that I don't think is your fault. Like, part of that is the curriculum that's designed to teach you to the test and not designed to teach you based on your interests. Why do you think that's so, um, why do you think that's so, it's so testy. You know what I mean? Like, it's, why do you think that's so to the test and not to the student. So I'm getting a PhD in science education at Columbia, right? So I have to study the K-12 system and why it is the way it is. Mm -hmm. And part of it is because there are so many students that have to be educated, right? It's really hard to come up with a system that's catered to the needs of every individual student. Technology has made it easier, but still, it's so much easier to test students all on the same thing, give them a Scantron sheet, and then 30 minutes later, you got the test results that you're looking for. Right. But, you know, that, like, as techno- like I said, as technology changes, that is becoming more and more possible to d- develop catered, specific, tailored educational experiences for each individual student. Usually that's only for the rich kids, though, and the rich right. kids aren't the black and brown kids, usually. That's all facts. Big facts. Even with the wording, I remember asking my mother, Mama Hunger had an episode about four or five months ago, and I remember asking her as an educator, I said, do you think that the um, <laughs> the standardized testing system is racially biased? And she said, yes, of course it is. IQ tests even. Really? Uh, yeah, I mean, IQ tests are biased for white people. Yeah, because um, white people, so white people are predisposed to certain types of languages I mean, obviously the English language and competency and fluency and reading comprehension with the English language, they're predisposed to that stuff at an earlier age on average. And the tests generally are biased towards them. So you have stuff like the Mensa Society, which is a, I don't know if you heard of that, society of all high IQ people, right? Uh, and most of them are white. And it's, it, it, I mean, of course that's how it's gonna be. Um, but the problem is, is like when people start to associate their intelligence with their IQ, which they're not one and the same. Oh, that's all facts. Just like, um, I feel conflicted quoting Kanye, but you know, we talking about <laughs> Kanye way back in the day. But remember, you oh, can't go to school, but you can go to school, but you can't buy class. It's almost like the same thing. That's relevant, y'all. I know y'all still mad at him, but that was a really relevant quote. I'm about to say that. But um, also, um, another thing I've noticed while we're on education, I noticed that a lot of companies such as Google and um, what was another one? Google. Apple. Apple, yeah, they're basically saying, hey, we don't need your degree. Just just have yeah. the skill set. Mm-hmm. What is your process in terms of how that's moving um, with corporations not requiring a formal four-year degree and more so rewarding people with jobs based on skill sets? That's the present and future workforce. It is a skills-based meritocracy. However much work you put in is however much you're going to see. The only problem, like I said, once again, is that the Googles and the Apples aren't going to be looking for the black and brown kids that are 
deep in the south side of Chicago with the skills they're looking for, but just haven't had the platform or network to access them, right? So still, it's going to be more selective towards the white kids who had those early STEM camps when they were in fifth grade and had those kinds of opportunities. Uh, but yeah, like school as we know it is being radically changed. I think education of the future is going to look a lot different. I mean, it's already changing, right? If I'm a student now and I'm paying you know, like, on, for example, if I'm a Columbia undergraduate student, which I'm not, I'd be paying on average about, I think, $50,000 a semester. A semester? I believe so. I believe so. That's, that's New York City Ivy education, right? So that's, that's, so that's $200,000 and over the course of, oh, no, no, no that's $100,000 over the course of a year times four. It's $400,000 over the course of four years if you get out on time, right? So, like, think about that. If, you get, if you're getting a, a degree in a technical field, you could go on Code Academy, learn the skills, do some freelance projects, and be somebody's apprentice and literally get the exact same skill set, minus the Columbia and Ivy League network, of course, um, but the exact same skill set uh, to be qualified for a position. So, like, why would I spend all that money on education? Yes, exactly, exactly. I got a homeboy named Prentice Brown. He's pretty dope. He actually was the person, I have two people that did my logo. One person actually sketched it, the other one actually brought it to life. The man that brought it to life is Prentice Brown. And Prentice is actually a person who actually leveled up before this actually became a thing. He was one of the first that I heard of, I think maybe four or five years ago, who had one skill set and then acquired two more and now he has a job that pays him what he wants because of him going out of his way. But um, quick question though, how do you feel about YouTube? I know you, you mentioned, uh, you, is it Udemy? Udemy, mm -hmm. Udemy you mentioned, um, Code Academy. Code Academy, but I didn't hear YouTube in that list. So me and my entrepreneurial homies, we call YouTube YouTube University because that's, that's a place where you can learn almost any niche skill out there on the Internet. Like, so, for example, I taught myself graphic design, video production, photography, animation, all on YouTube University, right? So I literally, when I would reach a point where I'm struggling, I search a very specific thing, how to change a gradient of the color black on Inkscape and I could find a video dedicated to that specific thing right. and so it's like you really like if you really want to learn something that's in like software or technology you have no excuse at this point yeah not to mention a lot of these gigs is paying like six figures so they paying high five high five figures so for those that are broke and want to do something to change their lives and they want to learn another skill set you might want to go ahead and enroll in YouTube University and get your life together now let's say that they do this and they pick up the skill set how do you tailor your resume to say hey I got a four-year degree in underwater basket weaving, but I also got like a year in on doing graphic design. Like, how do you get your foot in the door when you're switching your entire career path? Build a portfolio. So that's another beautiful thing about the internet is that you don't need somebody's piece of paper to tell you that you're good at what, what it is that you want to be good at. You can literally build an Instagram page full of graphic designs. I have a friend like this who literally credentialed themselves on Instagram by designing stuff, posted on Instagram, getting lots of likes, and then now that's their portfolio. So they'll go to clients and clients will be like, can I see some of your past work? They'll share them a link to their Instagram page and they'll get paid five to six figures a year using that kind of strategy. So it's really about being outside of the box as well as being disciplined um, to learn something new. So for those who, I mean, society has a microwavable attention span, not even just children. So for those, I mean, as a collective, we all are like that. So how would you get somebody or what would you advise somebody that just can't seem to stay focused to buckle down in order to learn? 
So, meaning they can't focus in the classroom, meaning they are distracted by social media, like, yes, yes. so all, all of the above. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so there's something I do, because I think I suffer from this sometimes, too. I just turn my phone off, I turn my devices off, uh, or if, like, work I'm doing is on the computer, I'll just turn my phone off, mm-hmm. put it face down, and just distance myself from it from a, for a predisposed amount of time, and then that's how we make it work. Okay, that's easier said than done, y'all, but it can be done. Just put the phone down. This is talking to me too, y'all. Put the phone down and go get it done because I still have a tribe letter to do tonight. So, entrepreneurship. You said you and your entrepreneurial homies, y'all were talking about YouTube University. So, I assume that this is, with you being a Ph.D., candidate you know this is something that you're doing bootstrapping correct in terms of the magic cool bus and any other thing you want to do so what tell, tell me about that journey like in terms of just saying okay I have a, a job and I think I'm gonna do this full-time yeah so I worked a job in technology at Accenture I was a technology consultant and I honestly did not like to work primarily because I wasn't doing anything purposeful in my mind mm-hmm. so while I you know during the weekends and you know, um, while other people were maybe partying or doing other stuff, I was obsessively disappointed with my situation. And I was like constantly trying to figure out what it was I was gonna do next. And like, that is what ultimately gave me the strength. That, that sheer disappointment is what gave me the strength to ultimately take the leap of faith into the unknown and uh, do what I love. Justin, do you believe that you're doing your soul work? I think that I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. I don't know what I can attribute that to, um, but every day I feel fulfilled by the work I do. Do you believe, let me reword it, do you believe that this is your life's work? Absolutely. Now, is there any type of spiritual connection to the work that you do? So, I don't think I'm spiritually motivated by the work that I do. But sometimes it's hard for me to define what motivates the work I do. But I don't know if I attribute to that as much as there's no one else that's going to do this. And I know it's extremely important. It's the future of the survival of people from our culture, you know. Um, So I just feel compelled purely from, I think, the intellectual importance of it. So, you know what, let's just jump right into this whole spirit and science conversation. So, you know, there are certain there's certain beliefs that are all across the board when it comes to spirituality and science. You also have, like, the Church of um, Religious Science, you know, like Yogananda. That's a little bit of science, a little bit of spirituality. You got Scientology. You got, uh, we not going to Scientology, okay? We, we ain't fooling with Scientology, okay? They ain't finna be coming up here trying to uh, smear campaign me. Okay, so, but then you also have like a um, Neil. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yes, Mr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, who, <laughs> if I remember correctly, he's not really an astrology person. You feel me? Like he's more of an astronomy cat. He's an astrophysicist. Yeah. Which means, yeah, like he doesn't really get into the the energy of what astrology is about. But he can go on cold hard facts with respect to the constellations in the sky and how they match up and things like that. Yeah. So there's so many different, you know what I mean? So it's, so it's a lot. And then you have like people like uh, Bentoff, who had one of my favorite books, which was called The Cosmic Book, which actually relates science and spirit together. So like, what is your take on all of this? So 
Just broadly, what is my take on the mix of science and spirituality? Do you believe or? it exists? Spirituality? Spirituality with respect. Do you think there's any kind of relation between science and spirituality? Yes. Yes. Uh, and I, I think that when it comes, but what I will say is when it comes to people's personal beliefs, mm -hmm. I can't really impose my own beliefs on what other people use to motivate them and what's intrinsic to them. Right. You know, because I think that's a matter of perspective. Right. But um, science and spirituality, I mean, there's definitely like a science behind certain people's brains and why they are hardwired to more, be more privy to believe certain things, you know? And um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a link between science and spirituality in that capacity. Okay, so what is your, what is your take? It's probably going to be the same answer. I'm going to ask it anyway. So I know with people that are agnostic or atheist even, they'll say, okay, well, it doesn't exist. He, she, it, it doesn't exist. We don't have enough information to even prove that it doesn't exist. So, like, what is your take on that? Do you think that it has to be? Does it have to be proven? Like, hey, there's been scientific evidence or whatever that says that this exists. Or are you saying, hey, it's really up to the lens of the person that's having the experience? Yeah, I'm definitely the latter. It's definitely the person. It's up to the person to believe what it is that they want to believe. Mm -hmm. And as someone that popularizes and communicates science, right, like, I think a lot of scientists have this tendency to reject the beliefs of others, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of them, well, first of all, a lot of scientists are hardcore atheists. And secondly, they're condescending towards people that don't fit in with that. Mm -hmm. And it is my job as a science communicator to not rub you the wrong way with my message about how important science is. Right. So if I start with that by rejecting your personal beliefs or what you believe in, then I am not effectively getting my point across about the importance of what I believe in because you don't want to hear anything I have to say after I say everything you think is completely stupid. Right. So. Right. Y'all, I think I mentioned this another episode when I said that it's hard to have people understand what you're saying when you disrespect them. Um, I think I said that about a social media episode. I think I said something about you can't kick knowledge and then like disrespect your audience at the same time. So I feel you on that. So um, I, how, how much do I want to get into this? Because I really feel like I really like, again, you being a science communicator, me being a spiritual homegirl, we are on the same page in terms of not wanting to push our beliefs on the people in terms of making them believe what we believe mm -hmm. and being respectful of all perspectives. I get that right. But I mean, let's, let's just, let's just go in. Okay. So first off, you know, we have a lot of laws, right? A lot of theories and things like that. And a lot of our, um, a lot of things that are in our culture and in, our textbooks are based on these laws. Now, I'm also getting contrarian viewpoints of, oh, those are just theories. Those are not facts. Those are just, they're not necessarily permanent, but yet here we are using these theories as facts when they're simply just theories. Like, what do you feel about that? In terms of, so what do you mean in context? Like, in what context? All of it, okay? Everything. All of the little theories, uh, all of, science everything, okay. yes. Okay, so, so, the laws that we have in science have just yet to be disproven. That's actually the process of how science works for us. Uh, and anyone who kind of like be believes with believes conclusively that anything in science is conclusive fact doesn't understand how the scientific process works. So, what happens in science is we literally it's like this this doubtful process over and over again of peer review, right? So if I'm a scientist, right, and I say water is clear, right? 
And I do an experiment and put all these different types of water in all these different environments. And I discover through my method that, oh, water is clear. Then I submit a paper on it to another scientist for peer review. Mm -hmm. And so they may say, ah, I don't think his experiment was correct. I'm going to do this a different way. Oh, wait, water's still clear based on the way I did it. Okay. And so science, any of the theories or laws that we've developed in science are literally a result of a process of continued peer review and refinement and refinement and refinement. But they're never conclusive. That's the thing about science. So that's why it's confusing to me sometimes where uh, scientists can't identify uh, strictly and conclusively as atheists when there's not conclusive evidence that there's not a higher power out there. There's not conclusive evidence on the other side of that. Right. But science has proven or disproven either of those. Uh, so if you're an atheist because of your background in science, then I think that doesn't really hold logically. Okay, okay, okay. What's another thing? So we have a lot of like stuff in our society that is now challenging the history books in terms of what existed and what didn't. So I'm just going to, let's just go, I mean, y'all know I don't do no structure for an interview, but let's just go off cuff, all the way off cuff. I'm going to bring up some topics that come to mind, right? And I'm just curious to know what your thoughts are in terms of whether these things actually happened or not. Okay, I are may you? not be educated on the topics. So we'll, it's going to be general. If not, you know, we'll, we'll make it work. <laughs> First things first, did the dinosaurs really exist? So according to science, yes. Do you want me to elaborate? You believe that? According to science. I'm not challenging, I'm just asking. So, uh, according, I, I mean, I believe what science has arrived at. Got it, okay, that's yeah. what I was asking. Okay, so the Big Bang, do you think it existed or no? Big Bang is a theory. Uh, according to science, it's the most feasible theory of the origin of our universe at the time. So I believe that conclusion because it's based on, once again, that process, right, of, like, refinement and peer review. Humans being related to apes and gorillas and stuff, you believe existed? Humans and uh, chimpanzees share 99% of the same DNA. Uh, so, yeah, humans and chimpanzees share 99% of the same DNA. So I'm not convinced that we're not. Yeah. Okay, for those who may not, and this this might not be a quick answer, but um, how did we how did we how do we merge from how do we go from gorilla to to human? Like I'm I'm kind of I want to ask the question, but I don't want to ask the question. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Was there any intermingling of the species? That's what I'm asking. So it's really interesting. Actually, there's some really cool documentaries on this. So we found some fossils of several different types of intermediate species, right, between humans and chimpanzees, ones that were super hairy, ones that had smaller brains and big bodies, ones like Neanderthals, right, like cavemen. Um, they, there are several different types of variations of that, that mix phase, right? And we, it is believed, and we don't have a lot of conclusive evidence on this, but it's believed, uh, at least according to my latest understanding of, the, of that science, is, is that those species in the in-between phases intermingled. Uh, and it, it's also believed, this is all theory at this point, that there was a, a hunting event that occurred between the, the, the ancestors that were close, most closely resembled us and the rest of the intermediate human ape species. So really interesting documentaries on that from experts. Like I'm definitely not an expert on the topic, so I want to make sure that I put that out there. The way I look at it, ain't nobody an expert. 
everybody's learning. That's how I look at it. Everybody's all in a constant journey of learning. Some things take an entire lifetime. Certain things may not, but we always are learning. So I feel you. So um, do I want to go there? Oh, come on, come on. It's not. It's questions. not. It's not safe for work. I know you got questions. It's not safe for work. Let's just go there. So, what is your take on the rise of sexually transmitted diseases that are becoming resistant to medicine? Oh, yeah. That's, that's what is that about? How did that even happen? How is that not safe for work? I love talking about that. Well, we can go in, so go ahead. So, so maybe your audience might be familiar with the concept of a superbug. If not, I can elaborate. So, basically, because of our germophobia, right, using hand sanitizers that kill, for example, 99.9% of antibacterial <laughs> or, right. of bacteria, yeah we cause a big problem, right? Because if you kill, let's say you put some hand sanitizer on your hands and you kill 99.9% .9 of the infectious bacteria, mm -hmm. the problem causing bacteria, for one, you kill all of it. So there's good bacteria, right? There's pro, there's, there's, it's called probiotics, pro, they're bacteria that are good for you that mm -hmm. you kill, for one. But secondly, there's a 0.1% of bacteria that survive the Holocaust, or the, the nuclear winter that occurs when you put hand sanitizer on your hands. That one, that 0.1% is able to survive and reproduce repeatedly over and over again, and over time they become resistant. That's the that's the that's the strain that survives hand sanitizer. So they'll be able to live on your hand whether or not you put hand sanitizer on it or not, and they'll start flourishing, right? Because they have no competition now. So now you have a strain of bacteria on your hands that's resistant to hand sanitizer. Imagine that concept amplified all over the world, right? We're constantly using soap. We're not soap, soap is not bad. Soap is what I suggest, like non-antibacterial, non-antibiotic soap. We're using antibacterial soaps though, we're using antibiotics, and we're using all these kinds of things that that um, they, 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 they basically cause this nuclear winter for bacteria, but the ones that are tough, they survive. And so that causes a problem now in, in the context of sexually transmitted diseases, what happens is people are using all these antibiotics to try and solve the problems uh, that they occur with maybe chlamydia, uh, which is a result of a bacterial infection. And over time, the ones, the, the little chlamydias that can resist the antibiotics are gonna survive and they're gonna reproduce and they won't be able to be taken on by antibiotics. But the cool thing is there are some new treatments out there that can potentially affect that or can solve that problem. So if y'all ain't learned nothing from this bit right here, strap up and get tested, please. Also, when it comes to antibiotics, for the women, you may or may not have known this, but when it comes to, let's just say, if a woman has a yeast infection and she gets prescribed a uh, like a diflucan or something like that, when you mention the concept of it killing good and bad bacteria, that's exactly what those particular um, antibiotics or whatever, that's exactly what it does. Like it wipes out all the good stuff, because for, for women and men, especially if you're dealing with women, um, our parts, our vaginas need a mix of, well, actually it needs good bacteria, period. It needs good bacteria. So when you put a diflucan in your system, it gets rid of all of it. And then it may cause another imbalance, which requires another form of antibiotics. So it's really, it's really interesting how um, modern medicine can help sometimes, but then kind of hurt sometimes. So yes. segue into the next topic. Yeah, and I had a suggestion before you. Segue. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. So, if people are struggling with that antibiotics thing, what's suggested nowadays is to use probiotics when you use antibiotics, so that you, while you're killing everything, 
uh, if you're going to kill everything, put some more of the good bacteria in your body, right. in your gut, right. so that they're able to continue to flourish. Right. Ladies, that means acidophilus, okay? That'd be A-C-I-D-O-L-P. H. It's late. It's late. I L L U S. It's late. <laughs> Ooh, I was for a great spelling champion, but that was so long ago. And I definitely didn't win over Acidophilus. I won on the word indication. That was easy. So, for those who are curious about that, in terms of getting more of that good bacteria in your system, y'all know I'm plant based. If you happen to do dairy, there's some in yogurt. There are also some good plant based uh, yogurts that have Acidophilus as well. There's also supplements you can take. There's liquid and capsules. So, please take good care of your. Anyway, so going to modern medicine, right? So what is your take on modern medicine? I mean, it's a lot of stuff. Like, it's a, it's a big debate in terms of cancer, treatments. These actually harm more than they help. This is actually to support big pharma. It's not really to actually help cure us. What is your take on that? A lot of that stuff is true. Um, so, so the problem is, is that the research on alternative medicines is often poorly funded, right? Mm -hmm. And so what happens is the FDA doesn't approve stuff unless it's been thoroughly researched. Big Pharma has the bread to put behind any kind of research they want to, and oftentimes they, they use that same money and power and influence to suppress alternative methods that may be healthier for people because cures are bad for business, mm -hmm. treatments Versus treatments are a better business model, right? You get repeat customers if you treat or if you treat them and they come back because they still have the same problem. Right. I'm glad I'm not tripping on this because I understand modern medicine can be useful. Like think about it: you break your arm, you break a hand or something. Yeah, you might have an urge out the pain, but you got to deal with that that break in your bone, you know, or that fracture or whatever in your bone. So I understand there are methods that help, like surgery, same thing. So it's almost like it's like I wanna, I wanna give them their props and I will to that effect but when it comes to all these different 10 15 medications for diabetes patients cancer patients hypertension patients it's kind of just like it's 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 a crock to me so you have any other thoughts on that before we move on uh, I mean stay educated uh, be careful so f to go back to my point about antibiotics antibiotics are the most overprescribed uh, solution to people's ailments in the country so doctors are constantly saying, oh, your shoulder hurt? Here, take some antibiotics, right? Mm -hmm. So just ask your doctor whether or not you absolutely need to do that to your system before you agree to it. Ooh, you gave me a good other topic to segue into. Vaccines, what are your thoughts? So vaccines, a lot of folks have been anti-vaccines recently. Uh, and I'm not sure if that one is weighted uh, as heavily scientifically. So, so vaccines, I know, are in essence a shell of the virus, whatever the virus may be, inserted into your body with the same kind of receptors so that when your immune system detects the shell of it, it doesn't actually affect it like it usually would, but your immune system can prepare for when it actually comes into your body. So from my perspective vaccines are effective uh, vaccines have have cured so many diseases there's a huge history that you should google uh, if any listeners that are interested you should google the history of how many plagues vaccines have prevented uh, and have stopped now we're talking united states vaccines or just vaccines in general uh, so that i i wouldn't want to speak about stuff outside of the u.s because i'm not that knowledgeable on the topic got it 
So this is where, and I'm, I'm, the reason why I'm having this discussion is because um, I'm struggling with that as of right now in terms of vaccination and things like that. Um, because when you see a Kennedy on TV or on YouTube I, that I saw talking about how vaccines are targeted to harm babies of color, it makes you think because, you know, it's a Kennedy, you feel me? Like, he's a Kennedy that's saying, hey, I've had over 20 vaccines. My family's having me vaccinated. And I'm telling you that these vaccines, some of them are geared to harm your communities. So I've actually been, and, it's, and I've seen this like two, two and a half years ago, and I've been conflicted on it ever since. I don't like to just come to a conclusion for the sake of time. Like, I need to mull it over, and then I'll come to whatever conclusion when I'm done doing my research. But do you think there is a, a connection between like autism and these in these vaccines? I mean, again, this is something that you may or may not have right. gone so to, yeah, but I don't I don't have specific knowledge on that correlation. But here's what I will say about research. Right. Mm -hmm. So a problem with research on people is often that the most commonly tested subjects are white people. Right. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, you know, while we're not completely different as humans, there are some relatively uh, significant genetic differences in people. So that's why certain diets work better from people with different backgrounds. And, and, and so, so that's something that's worth considering in the context, right? So like you might have something that works for white people and has been tested and proven on white people, but is not an effective solution for people of color. Um, but like as far as that specific correlation, I don't really know nothing about it. So I don't want to say it with conviction. Yeah, and to be honest, a lot of us a lot of us are getting a lot of information, again, like on a YouTube, and I'm not saying that to discredit YouTube at all, but I'm just more so saying that it's a lot of things that we we accept or would like to accept or even reject, but we don't have the resources to do the actual lab work ourselves. For instance, the alkaline diet. There are some people that say, oh, alkaline is better. It's mucus in your body. You don't need to have mucus. Mucus causes inflammation. Wherever the mucus is, that's where the itis comes from. You know? so. Y'all, he is side-eyeing so hard. Why are you making that face, Justin? Well, I just know about the positive effects of mucus on the body. It's, that's not the only thing mucus does. Let's go there. Speak on it. If you have a cold, uh, the virus exits your body through mucus. Mm -hmm. If you digest any food, the hydrochloric acid in your stomach that would burn through your organs is protected by mucus. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of other uses of mucus in, in the human body that are, are, are effective and positive. So I, I wouldn't say that it's exclusively that. See, this is what I, it's exactly what I'm saying when it comes to accepting certain things based on, and I'm not saying this to discredit Savior or anything, because if y'all have listened to a few episodes, y'all would know that I actually started my vegan journey or plant-based journey on the Sabi diet, believe it or not. So, um... It's just, it's just interesting. Like, Is that Dr. Sabi? Dr. Sabi. Yeah. Yeah, he passed. So I'm just kind of, how do I want to work this, actually? How do we go about doing our own research instead of accepting the research of someone else? Hmm. That's a tough one. That's a really good question. Um, but what I think that requires, uh, and this, this is part of the answer, this is not the whole answer. Mm -hmm. But that requires, going back all the way full circle, for black and brown scientists to be getting PhDs and studying something with black and brown people in laboratories, right? Uh, so that's a huge part of the problem, is that we are not there to study us. Y'all heard that? 
I mean, it's almost like this is also a heavily, I don't even want to get into this. It's also a heavily debatable topic when it comes to politics. They say, oh, it's not enough representation in politics and things like that. It's, just, it's, the, same, it's the same thing. Even if you go back to like yoga and spirituality, like a lot of the big timers, they are slim white women. You know what I'm saying? So like, I, I understand completely what you're saying. It's just representation actually matters in so many other ways, yeah, period. environmental justice. I just left SciComm camp. That's why I'm here in LA. Mm-hmm. I was the only black man in a, in a place with about 80 to 100 people. It sounds to me like this is your norm. Is that the norm for you? It was. When I worked in tech, I was the black guy. When I was in my undergraduate marine environmental science, I was the only black guy. At Hampton? No, no, no. So when I, so during, at Hampton, I wasn't. But when I would go into internships, oh, yeah. I would be the only black guy. Right, so what I literally, one of the reasons I did this is because I would look around myself everywhere, I related to nobody, and I wanted to bring more people like me back into these places because I saw how influential these careers are. How did you get through the awkwardness of being the only black person in the room? I mean, I'm from Atlanta, so I'm used to not being the only black person in the room. I think at my high school, there was probably five white people. So, you know, I'm on a completely opposite end of the spectrum. Even my workplaces were mostly black. So, like, how did you deal with the awkwardness of that? HBCU education really helped me become secure in my blackness, Mm -hmm. right, before I walked into any of those rooms. So I knew the soft skills. I knew how to talk to people. I knew how to look people in their eye. I knew how to speak with confidence and conviction. So by the time I walked into those rooms, I had those skills. You couldn't deny that I had those skills. Uh, And so I got a lot of security and confidence from that. And so, you know, what helps me now, though, is that I started to, and this is unfortunate that I have to do this, but I started to learn white culture. I started to assimilate, right? Unfortunately, it doesn't always happen the other way around, right? Right. Uh, What's really cool, though, so my advisor at at Columbia, right, African-American dude, he wrote a cool book for white folks who teach in the hood and the rest of y'all, too. Uh, A lot of times he talks to us down to earth like a regular dude, like a regular black dude, Mm -hmm. right? So like, this is Columbia, so there's people of all colors that are in that department, but he's a head dude in charge. So if you wanna understand him, you gotta assimilate to his culture. And I love that, and it's so empowering. Uh, And so more of us have to get in those gatekeeper positions so that we can be ourselves, so that other people will have to assimilate to what we do and not the other way around. Right, and um, I remember seeing a code switching video on Instagram where this woman walks into the office and she literally code switches to every type of person in her office in like a 30 second period. And I realized that that's actually like something that other cultures may not have. Well, other cultures that are not like, you know, like, well, not white, basically. Like they have to, they all have to do that. And it's just really interesting. So yeah, we're all kind of bilingual and trilingual. Like, right. I know you, you, you seen the Obama video with the handshakes. Yeah. He's like, oh, John. Yeah, nice right, to meet you. Right, and he's like, my boy, he doubts right. love it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I think about that, like people, you know, Ebonics is considered a, a language in, in some circles, right? I think of black folks that grew up in certain environments, like we're bilingual. Right, right. That's nice. That's nice. Sorry, y'all so plain, literally flying overhead. Okay, we good. Uh, nah, we're bilingual. In the story. In the story, period. <laughs> okay. So, um, my last question on this science, uh, just off the dome, was HIV a man-made disease? Yes or no? <laughs> uh, so there's some interesting theories behind that. I don't know the facts, 
So I can't speak on that. Now I got another question. Sorry, it just hit me again. So there's been a topic that's been coming up on social media a lot, especially with like Beyonce and Serena Williams bringing attention to the lack of proper care for black women in the medical system, especially when it comes to pregnancies. Oh yeah, um, like we have the highest, was it um, like the post, post-birth mortality rates. Like right, black women do. right. Like what is your thoughts on that? Why do you think that is? So, I don't know the statistical data behind this, but I think a lot of black folks just don't want to go to the doctor. Like, a lot of times, I mean, and understandably, like, there's this understandable mistrust between doctors and people of color, and right? And police and people of color. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Uh, it's, it's it, you know, it's rooted in, 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 in legitimacy, um, but what happens is, like, those people don't have, a lot of times, access to insurance or maybe they just don't feel trustful of their doctors and they want to give the baby they want to give birth to the baby in house and so there can be complications that don't surface if you're not hooked up to like a machine uh until later okay now some of these issues are actually happening in the hospitals and for some reason and i could be wrong on this i'm not i'm not a science person but do you think that some of these issues are because there's lack of knowledge on black and brown women to to be prepared for any kind of post-birth complications? Absolutely. So I wish I knew the young woman's name, but there's someone who's, once again, getting one of those kind of gatekeeper positions where they're doing research mm -hmm. specifically on black women. And she's a black woman. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're trying to figure out, you know, some of the causes of this kinds of mortality. But that's, that's part of the solution. Like, we got to get in there and we got to research our people because the stuff that works for every person, every culture is not going to necessarily work for us because our genetics are mildly different, different enough to where there are certain medicines that affect certain people type of way. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you knew this, the gene for lactose tolerance, like the ability to digest lactose that's in milk, mm -hmm. that evolved in Europe like 10,000 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So like a lot of black folks cannot digest lactose or humans in general cannot digest lactose so like we're different in a lot of ways and we need to be more educated on that and that only happens through researching specific types of people okay um, all right all right i'm gonna end that that little uh mini segment of just random uh talks about things in science but i am curious to talk about your ted talk that you did um was that three months ago yeah it was in may may it was a while back now. Uh, wow time flies Wow, that time really flies. Okay, now I noticed you do like you do events at like Google and things like that, and you do TED talks. So like, how did you get into like? Matter of fact, just tell me about your TED talk really quickly. So my TED talk is on Generation Z. It's called How to Speak Generation Z. A lot of times, parents and educators and people that are trying to market to this generation of students don't understand how to effectively reach them, and the talk is designed as a manual to prepare people who don't really understand them how to understand them a little bit better. That was a great TED talk, by the way. You can definitely find it on YouTube. Um, but how did that even, like, how did that happen? How did you get into public speaking? I publicly spoke for the first time when I was eight years old, and I hated it. I was a super shy, nerdy kid, and my grandma made me publicly speak at a flea market. I was, like, reading a children's book in front of an audience of 10 people. I remember tears flowing down my eyes. Oh, no. My heart was beating through my chest. I was stuttering across every single word, and I hated it. But more than I hated the discomfort of publicly speaking, I hated 
Oh, I'm sorry, more than I hated publicly speaking, I hated the discomfort of being put in a situation and being that uncomfortable. So I attacked discomfort from then on. And so anytime there was a speaking thing, read the morning announcements, uh, host an assembly, like all these little things, they started to add up. And I got more and more fluent in front of audiences and talk in front of larger and larger, larger and larger audiences. Uh, so that ended up with me hosting radio segments and all kinds of things like that. Uh, and ultimately I had my first professional gig right after college. So you kind of just been on the smooth and steady path of preparation. That's that's what I call alignment, y'all. Like, I know hustling, grinding, all that other stuff. But to me, I feel like when you put forth the energy towards something and you actually put the action towards it, that leads to alignment. And apparently, Justin's been doing it since he was a little boy, tears stuttering and all. And he ended up slowly doing different things. Next thing you knew, he was out of college with a, with a professional gig, which is really big. So for those who want to get into public speaking, because a lot of people actually ask me about this a lot. So I'm going to ask you, because you've done, I mean, think about it. You did a TED Talk. Of course, I'm going to ask you. But what advice did you give to people that want to eventually be a TED like, Talker speaker like you, TED Talker, TED Talk speaker <laughs> like you and do public speaking professionally? So two things. Say yes to everything up front, because unless you have a crazy story, right or like this sensational career you don't really have a lot of leverage to get paid as a speaker and travel and do all these other cool things right so you need to build a portfolio that's the first thing so say yes to everything so you can build your portfolio get your clients up record stuff get a highlight reel right secondly though and i think i just lost my train of thought dang what was i thinking um be a public speaker secondly so first you want to build your credentials up the second thing is if you want to be a speaker, you have to think about this. Dope people get paid better than talented speakers. So let me give you an example, right? Toastmasters, right? Toastmasters is this public speaking organization all over the place. They have national championships. Yep. The national champion of Toastmasters is, in a brilliant, is a brilliant, eloquent, talented speaker, right? Mm -hmm. But they're not going to command a fee nearly as high as John Kerry. John Kerry is a senator, super dry dude, you know, he talks about his veteran stories. This dude can command 100K for a speaking gig, right? Yeah. Not a good speaker, but has a hell of a story to tell. Yeah. And so you have to build your, you have to get your weight up in your career. You know, you have to be a dope person. But while you're doing that, say yes to every speaking gig so that once you're on career-wise, you have a massive portfolio so people can't deny that you're going to bring it when you speak. So y'all heard the man. So basically, get your own girl, your homeboy to be your videographer. Go ahead and do what you need to do. Get a camera, get an iPhone, whatever it is, and have them record you while you go to these events. Get your weight up, get your practice up, and then create a highlight reel and also be dope. Now, we can't tell you how to be dope. That's something you got to figure it out with them. But once you master that and do dope things, then from what I'm gathering here, that you'll be a better, um, in a better position to command yeah, more. And I, I want to add one more thing to that. So you got to specialize. A lot of people get into speaking wanting to be, and I, I'm not going to front, I wanted to do this too because of my story in STEM, be an inspirational speaker, a right. motivational speaker, right? That market is hella saturated. There are a lot of people that want to motivate people, generally speaking, about all kinds of different things. Mm -hmm. What you need to do is establish your expertise. You need to build out a specialization in a specific thing and get known for that thing so that when people want an expert on spirituality to come and you have this huge portfolio, this big following, and you've done all this content production around spirituality, then I'm gonna look for spiritual homegirl to come and, and speak on, on this right. panel about spirituality because she's an expert 
She's not a general motivational speaker. Right. You know, you might you might have a message that inadvertently motivates people, right. but you know, you need to be you're not gonna get brought in as a speaker more often than not unless you have an expertise. That's all facts. And if you need another example, I think Cresha Esquivel, she did she was a speaker about nonviolent parenting a few months ago. Her TED talk, she did a Ted Crenshaw talk out here. She did hers in October. I didn't interview her until like a little bit beforehand. But if you guys want to check her out too, I mean, that's another TED Talk speaker and she specialized. Like she literally talked about the importance of not hitting your children. So when you mentioned specialization, I thought that was really dope. Um, let's see, is there anything else that I want to talk about? Quick question about entrepreneurship. Let's say you're broke, you hit rock bottom, but you still have a dream, but the bills gotta get paid. What advice would you give somebody that's going through that? Get a job. I mean, <laughs> I mean, get a job, yo. Don't have your, don't, don't, no, you, a broke revolutionary is not an effective person, right? If you are an, if you are an agent or, or an advocate for your cause and you are broke, unfortunately, you need funds to get stuff off the ground. So you have to make a decision at some point when you're ready or when you're not ready to do a certain thing and, and save up the finances first. And you can always work on your idea in that in-between time. There's a lot more in-between time uh, than a lot of people think there is, like when they're maybe transitioning from, they're commuting from back and forth from work. You can be using that time to think about your ideas, brainstorm stuff, uh, develop different products, all that kind of stuff. But if you are broke, get a job. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I wasn't expecting that. He said that with such force. Get a job, okay? Stop being behind in your bills. Get you some food to eat. Get a job. I just ask that because a lot of people, you know, entrepreneurship is like sexy. You know what I'm saying? And they make it sound real sexy. Quit your job. Make it work. And it's like, (laughs) it's like I got bills too. On the first, the third, the fifteenth, the eighth, the twenty-first. You posting all these dope selfies. Oh, I travel everywhere. I'm doing everything, but you're broke and you have no real product or service. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's entrepreneurship, especially because of the gram. The gram will really do it. It overhypes and glamorizes the idea of entrepreneurship. This stuff is hard. This stuff is not easy. You want to do this full time? You got to go hard, and you got to hear a lot of rejection. So. You know, even if you got the finances to sustain yourself, you still have to go through a lot. And the pictures that people see, even on my page, are not accurate. They're not an accurate portrayal of the stuff I go through on a daily basis. Thank you for that honesty. Because, again, it it is a lot about image. And people think that image is what books you the gigs and things like that. And sometimes it does. But a lot of the times that's just not the only thing that defines success. The look does not... The look might get you in the room maybe, but the look's not gonna help you run the room at some point. You know what I'm saying? It's not gonna let you leave the room with a check. So I'm really glad that you said that. And is there anything else you want the world to know about Mr. Fascinate? Matter of fact, let's go go on that real quick before we wrap up. Where did Mr. Fascinate come from? So I always thought people associated STEM with being born. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was like, I always was intrinsically interested in science, STEM in general. So I'm like, why don't I just call my brand Fascinate and it's gonna be intrinsically interesting and I'm just gonna put STEM stuff in it. So you're coming there to be entertained, to be interested, uh, and STEM is what's gonna be doing it. And 
and also one more thing too. I'm sorry. I know I, I know I was gonna wrap this up. I try to keep my interviews at about an hour, but um, you're working on a comic book, right? A children's book, yeah. Okay, so tell us about that. What made you? I mean, obviously the lack of representation and making STEM cool and, and stimulating is what made you do the book. Mm -hmm. Do you have like what? What is the book about? Are you open to sharing that, or is it is it private? So I'm still in the process of really developing the ideas, but what I'm thinking about, and I can talk about this. I'm not uncomfortable. So I have a cartoon series out called Hood Science. It basically makes science friendly to urban students, right? Uh, and it's a story about this this kid and his drone that he built, and he's participating in this robotics competition. It's a funny cartoon. You should check it out if you if you want to laugh. Uh, but I'm thinking about converting stories from that into a children's book uh, that'll entertain urban kids specifically. Where can people find Hood Science? You can go to YouTube and type Hood Science. I'm the first thing that comes up. All right. And is there anything else that you want the world to know about you or the Magic Cola Bus or anything else that you have going on? Uh, so this is just one tip. I just got a tip for y'all. LinkedIn is booming. Everyone's sleep on LinkedIn right now. Almost everyone. Uh, I get a lot of inbound speaking requests, a lot of bookings, uh, a lot of clients through LinkedIn because my LinkedIn page is on point. Get your LinkedIn up, <laughs> get a job, get your LinkedIn up, make sure your LinkedIn looks good, and it's not an online resume anymore. You can create content and put it on LinkedIn for professional audiences, for people that are conference organizers, people that are looking to book speakers, right? That's where it's at. Don't sleep on LinkedIn. Honestly, Justin is what got me back on LinkedIn. Um, I was initially on it for professional purposes before I started Spiritual Homegirl, and he's absolutely right. Like, it's something that I actually want to get into a lot more, especially with the content creation, but I create a lot of content on different platforms, so we're going to have to make time for that. But um, from what I understand, it is it is a good way to network and things like that. I've had some good connections come through as well. So he's definitely right. So is there any way that people can get in touch with you? Sure, you can go on Instagram, type Mr.Fascinate, or you can search my name, Justin J. Schaefer, that's S-H-A-I-F-E-R, and that's on all platforms. Also, do you do workshops in terms of, like, kids? Like, if somebody wants you to come to their school and yeah, do, like, a STEM yeah. workshop? So, so I speak to, to middle and high school students. I do gigs at colleges, and I also do trainings for teachers now. If you're trying to bring STEM into your classroom and you're a teacher, you can bring me out. I'll help you learn 21st century skills that you can bring to the class, and you don't have to spend a lot of money to make that happen. See, look at that, man, with a, with a purpose, on a mission. All right. Is there anything else before we wrap up? So I got one quote for y'all, because uh, I'm an ideas person, right? But I live by this quote, and this is what's gotten me to produce. Vision without execution is hallucination. Think about it. Wow. Well, that was a good way to wrap that up. I, I think we'll leave that with you. All right, y'all. Y'all heard it with Mr. Fascinate, Justin Schaefer of the Magic Cool Bus. And that was this week's episode with Justin Schaefer, Mr. Fascinate himself. If you need to find him, you can definitely do so on LinkedIn. He's the king of LinkedIn if you didn't hear during his interview. But you can find him at Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N, Schaefer, S-H-A-I-F, as in Frank, E-R. You can also find him on social media like Instagram. His Instagram is Mr.Fascinate. So, um, yeah, definitely hit him up. Like he's, um, he's he's doing some great work and this type of work needs to be in 
not just New York City where he's based at, but but everywhere. He does, again, workshops for teachers and things like that. So if there's any teachers out there listening and wanting to get their children uh, more into STEM or maybe some superintendents or education specialists, definitely um, reach out to him. He's great. He's very personable. He's very knowledgeable. And he does everything from a place of love. Finding your soul work is really important in spirit work, soul work, in terms of what you're really meant to do, your life's work, your mission. And it's a beautiful thing to not only find people that are able to know that, but they comfortably move within that and they're and they're comfortable sharing their story with me so that I can share it with you all. Because sometimes um, we all weren't born knowing. Um, I wasn't. I had an idea and I had things I like to do. But I knew I was born to serve. I just didn't know in what capacity. So for those people who are not sure why they were here on earth right now or what they're supposed to be doing, or they may like something but may not know how to make it their life's work, I like sharing stories like Justin's because it it helps us learn from their experience with the hopes of maybe helping us navigate a little more clear in our own. So, um, yeah, I'm really glad that I interviewed him. And I'm, I know you guys are probably like, yo, Maria is just really calm and very just zen. Like she doesn't really, she isn't really as fiery this episode. I like to keep my fire balanced, I believe, in dualities and, and things like that. And y'all know I'm very fiery. Y'all know. And plus my accent don't make it, it don't make it any, uh, it doesn't make it any calmer. <laughs> so, you know, but I've been going to. One of my favorite places in LA, the Peace Labyrinth Gardens, um, or Peace Gardens and Labyrinth. And it's over on West Adams. And I got a really amazing sound bath today. And what was so cool about this sound bath um, was the uniqueness of my practitioner that did it. He's blind. And I just think that's so amazing. Like, we are all such amazing beings. Like, seriously, you have a person here who cannot see. But he can feel, he can feel energy and he can feel his and be in tune with his so much that he can be a practitioner and a teacher to help other people. Like, is that not amazing? I literally sat in this meditation and I was crying. I was crying, not because I was sad, but because I was so grateful to be able to experience something like that. Like, that's beautiful. You can tap in regardless of your situation, regardless of any type of disabilities, perceived disabilities. Like, that's so amazing. That's so dope. I know it's a lot of people, myself, I've been there too. We be standing in our own way. We could be our own practitioners for our own greater good to be our best selves. But we in our own way sometimes. So to see somebody um, not only overcome in spite of, but become a great teacher in spite of, I just think that's a. I just think that's amazing. Like I just been kind of sitting on that all day. Like that was just such a great experience. That's one of the best experiences I've had since being in Los Angeles. I've only been in LA for going on four weeks now, and that's easily one of the most mind blowing experiences I've had. And I know some of y'all probably thinking, "Oh, he's just blind." No, it's 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 not even about that. It's just that sixth sense of feeling. Feeling energy, not just feeling something in terms of like feeling things in your hand and, you know, things like that. But that's just just an amazing. I keep saying amazing because it really was. It's a it's a beautiful example 
of just just how awesome we are as spirits having a human experience. It's great. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm just like I, I wish I could put into words how freeing and how much of a learning experience that was at the same time. And plus, I love sound baths. Sound baths are beautiful. Um, and he had different in, um, instruments that he played, and and it was just it was it was great. If you guys haven't gone to the uh, Peace Gardens, a Peace Awareness Gardens in the Labyrinth, please do. It is so awesome. Make sure you book in advance because they do like to know who's coming or how many people to prepare for and things like that. Please bring a donation, support the cause. I just like that. Um, I like that they make it open to the public. People do live on the gardens. So I think that's great. And I just been kind of vibing today. It's been a beautiful day. Um, so yeah, I'm going to get my night meditation on and I mean, and, and prepare for this meetup on the 18th. If you want to find me in between, then you can do so at spiritualhomegirl.com, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook at spiritual home girl. And now that I'm starting to feel like I'm somewhat acclimated, I'm going to go ahead and get better at updating my sites. I really wasn't thinking about updating certain things because, well, the YouTube, I'm currently recording my video diary and we're working on editing those clips. So that's, you know, we are working on that. Facebook, um, I actually thought Facebook was a distraction. Um, and I've noticed that it's kind of weird because when you have a quote unquote brand, you're told to constantly constantly um post constantly stay consistent um people are gonna forget about you if you don't post and i mean i feel like at at some point if something's becoming a distraction there's nothing wrong with taking time away regardless or not because if it because there's a social media um addiction they're studying that now those are real and if you can't get things done because you're on six different platforms it's, it's it can become non-productive and for me i just felt like with the things i had to do here in terms of um, securing some things as soon as I moved out here I just had to take something something had to go so it was Facebook that kind of that kind of fell off so now that I'm getting a little bit acclimated maybe I'll slowly start becoming more consistent with posting on all of the platforms and things like that so just wanted to let y'all know <laughs> also if you haven't signed up for tribe letter please do so you can do so if you go to spiritualhomegirl.com and you can click the link in my bio on Instagram and do so. If you're also on Facebook, there is a sign-up form on my page at Spiritual Homegirl. You can do that as well. And it's hoodie season. A lot of y'all tell me you like my Spiritual Homegirl, Spiritual Homeboy hoodies. If you do, you can get one um, at the Shopify store, Spiritual Homegirl. And you can also find that on my link tree on my instagram account and then i got something special for black friday i'm really excited y'all um save your money <laughs> and mark your calendars for black friday because i'm going to be doing a few things that are very special um for you all and i'm really excited and some of you guys have asked me about these particular things and i didn't think about selling them i did a test run with my make peace with the day packs and they went well so i'm going to do one of the things that i really enjoyed um making for the packs but I'm going to do them in a different way um all I can say is I can show you better than I can tell you so just make sure you <laughs> mark your calendars for Black Friday because you're going to do something really special for y'all but yeah that's it I don't want to hold you guys I know this has been somewhat of a longer episode but this has been another episode of the Spiritual Homegirl Podcast my name is Maria and remember trust the journey and trust yourself peace peace